Hi, and thank you for watching this video. As you may or may not know, we have just passed several very important high watch dates, which we were watching to see if they would serve as a possible repeat fulfillment for the Feast of Passover. I have pointed out in a previous video that both the Hebrew and Torah calendars which align in 2021 positioned the first month of this year at a time when the sun was still rising in Pisces, which would contradict the instructions given to Enoch about how to determine the first month of the year. According to these instructions, the first month requires the sun to rise in the fourth gate or the constellation Aries for 30 days, and since the sun was still positioned in Pisces when the first month started, it may point to the Hebrew and Torah calendars possibly positioning the first month a little too early. I am not saying that this is definitely the case, but it is certainly something to consider when it comes to looking at the times and seasons associated with the Lord's feasts. This would also mean that the celebration of Passover may have occurred one month too early, and that second Passover, which I believe is a very important feast day, would also be positioned one month too early on these calendars. We are also dealing with two different calendars, where the Hebrew and Torah calendars use the moon to determine the start of the month, while the Enoch calendar uses the sun, its position in the constellation and also the ratios of day to night as it moves through the constellations. There are a few interesting aspects that I would like to point out in today's video, especially if we consider the possibility that the calendar may be one month off. If we consider both the lunar and solar calendars on a timeline, taking into account that we may need to add a month to the Hebrew and Torah calendars to position the feast days correctly, we have the adjusted date for Passover on the lunar calendar positioned at April 27th, which was a very high watch date for those who are expecting the return of our bridegroom. On the Enoch or solar calendar, Passover would fall on May 5th, and thank you to our family in Christ at Interrupts 165, and specifically to Amish for sharing information in this regard. Please check out their channel as they provide lots more detail on the calendars and how they apply. Next, we have to look at how the resurrection day is determined, and if we use Jesus' case, we know that he rose from the dead as the day began to dawn on the first day of the week, and we find this information in the following passage. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. In this passage we are shown that Jesus rose from the dead around the time of dawn on the first day of the week, after the seventh day, which is also known as the weekly Sabbath. And it is very important to pay attention to the details because we do not want to arrive at a conclusion that contradicts the word of God. Jesus also stated that he would be in the grave for three days and three nights, and the shortest amount of time required for Jesus to be in the grave, to align with what he said, would then be seventy-two hours. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, most of Christendom believes that Jesus was crucified and buried before sunset on a Friday. But would that be possible in light of Jesus' statement? If Jesus was placed in the grave just before sundown on a Friday, that would account for only 36 hours until dawn on the first day, or the Sunday morning. And this would contradict what Jesus said about his time in the earth. 
If it is important to you as it is to me to arrive at an understanding that aligns with everything in Scripture, then for Jesus' words to be true, a Wednesday crucifixion would have been required to bring about three days and three nights in the grave. Many will object to this understanding because of what is said in the following passage. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Many who have read this passage have concluded that since the Sabbath is mentioned here, that it necessarily refers to the seventh day of the week, but the Bible tells us, that the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which always follows the day on which Passover starts, is also a Sabbath on which no work will be done, and that it is associated with a preparation that involves removal of all leaven from the homes of those who belong to Israel. This Sabbath always follows directly after the Feast of Passover, and would therefore fit in with what we read in Mark chapter 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses, for whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. In addition to this, there is more information provided with regards to the specific timing of events. In Leviticus 23, Israel is instructed to take their first fruits offering to the temple to be waved before God by the priest on the morning after the Sabbath. We know that Jesus, who is called the first fruits, perfectly fulfilled this instruction in his resurrection from the dead, giving us a model through which we can differentiate between the Sabbaths being referred to in these passages. When it comes to the Feast of First Fruits, the Sabbath that is mentioned in Leviticus 23 could either refer to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows the day of Passover, or it could refer to the seventh day of the week. And we have to use everything provided in the Word of God to arrive at the correct understanding. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. Knowing that Jesus rose at dawn on the first day of the week, and that he was required to be in the grave for at least seventy-two hours, we know that the Feast of First Fruits is associated with the seventh day, Sabbath, and not the Sabbath associated with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This means that if we want to correctly position the Feast of First Fruits, as well as the start of the counting of the Omer, First Fruits should always begin on the first day of the week after Passover, if we want to align with the instructions and patterns that were provided for us in Scripture. 
When we look at how those who follow the Torah and Hebrew calendars approach this, especially from the perspective of Israel as a nation who refuses to accept Jesus Christ as being the Son of God, they position the Feast of First Fruits two days after Passover in all instances. They are therefore using the Sabbath that represents the Feast of Unleavened Bread instead of the seventh day of the week to determine the day on which the Feast of First Fruits should occur, following Passover. This deviates from the instructions and example provided to us in Jesus' case in God's Word, and until Israel accepts Jesus as their Messiah, they will never have the correct model to show them how to correctly apply the instructions that were provided in Leviticus. As I have stated before, for me it is very important to arrive at an understanding that includes as many passages as possible from both the Old and New Testaments about a subject that I am studying and for the understanding that is derived to align with all of Scripture without contradicting any passages. I believe our Heavenly Father designed His Word in such a way that it would require us to search all Scriptures thoroughly if we wanted to obtain the correct understanding that aligns with everything that the Word of God has to say about a specific subject. Coming back to the calendar that we are looking at, I was then wondering if any of the dates on these calendars before us followed the pattern that was provided to us in Jesus' case, and how this would apply to 2021. If we consider the two dates for Passover on both the lunar and solar calendars, if we added one month to our calculation so that the sun was rising in the constellation of Aries instead of Pisces, Passover would have occurred on a Tuesday on the lunar calendar, starting on the evening of the 26th, and falling on a day that would be one day too early when we compared this to what happened in Jesus' case. When we look at the solar calendar, Passover would fall on a Wednesday, May 5th, which would be a match for the timing of events during Jesus' crucifixion, also occurring on a Wednesday. This would then position the Feast of First Fruits on Sunday, May 2nd, on the lunar calendar, and Sunday, May 9th, on the solar calendar, and the Feast of First Fruits would then also mark the time at which the counting of the Omer would start. These would then be positioned as follows on the timeline that we are constructing. In a previous video that I shared, I pointed out the importance of Second Passover, which was instituted by God in a single passage of His Word in Numbers 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, or be in a journey afar off, yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. The fourteenth day of the second month at even, they shall keep it, and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Even though the institution of this feast is only mentioned once in this passage from the book of Numbers, it would seem to apply to several parables that Jesus gave in which a good man goes on a long journey to a far country and returns at an appointed time. If you have not seen this yet, please watch this video for that background. Also remember that since this is part of the spring feasts leading into Pentecost, this is the only spring feast that still needs to be fulfilled by Jesus. And from what we know, he told us about his journey before he departed and it certainly has been a long journey that has lasted about 2,000 years, and his arrival has never been so close as it is today. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
Now, if the first month of the year was positioned one month too early, second Passover would also need to be moved out by one month. And the date of second Passover would then fall on May 26th on the lunar calendar and June 4th on the solar calendar. When we consider where these dates fall on a Gregorian calendar, we see that we have a perfect match with the model of Passover on the lunar calendar, matching the pattern provided to us in the case of Jesus' crucifixion, where Passover occurred on a Wednesday and first fruits followed the next Sunday. But on the solar calendar, we have a different pattern. It is then very interesting to note that May 26th is marked by a very prominent celestial sign in the form of a blood moon or a total lunar eclipse. And Genesis 1 verse 14 may apply to this date, where our Heavenly Father may be marking an appointed day by a celestial sign. It is also very interesting to note that May 26th occurs three days before the date on which the flood came over the earth during the days of Noah. This happening on the 17th day of the second month, and could it be that these three days would be the days of darkness that will come over the earth before our Heavenly Father pours out the former and the latter rain during the 40 days following? Given the preparations for war that we see among several nations in the world currently, the same date may also be featuring in our enemy's predictive programming, where we see the blood moon featuring in this scene from the iPetco 2 animation marking the start of a war which we know to be part of an evil plan to bring about the new world order under the rulership of the Antichrist. In Albert Pike's letter of 1871, this plan includes the following. The Third World War must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agenda of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and the leaders of the Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam and political Zionism mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, the other nations, once more divided on this issue, will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, spiritual and economical exhaustion. Have we not seen over the past year and a half how the nations of the world have been constrained to a point where a total collapse of the current systems is expected to hit at any moment? and where a global reset has already been scheduled by those who have brought this upon the world. And yet people are still divided over why this is happening and whether the pseudo-illness that has been blamed for the situation we find ourselves in is real or not. Something else that I find very interesting is that Jesus told us in Matthew and Luke how his return would be associated with what happened in the days of Noah. But as the days of Noe were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noe entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Something peculiar that stands out for me in the story of Noah is that they had to wait for more than a century to see God's promise realized. And then seven days before the flood came over the earth, Noah and his family were told to enter the ark, the door of which was then shut behind them. This would almost seem to point to be confined inside their dwelling for seven days, just as Israel was supposed to remain indoors during the night of Passover and just before the Lord passed over them and destroyed the firstborn of the Egyptians. Since we are told that the days of the return of Jesus would be as that of Noah, it is possible that we could see a repeat of this by something that many have now become accustomed to in the form of lockdowns. 
could we possibly see a worldwide lockdown where the entire world may be expected to stay in their homes just before our Redeemer returns? Many have been waiting on the Lord for many years, and some even for decades, but we also know that our Heavenly Father promises a blessing to those who are found to be watching and waiting for Him when He returns. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when He cometh shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. There is also a blessing promised to those who wait on the Lord, and the Bible associates one period of waiting with a specific number of days. In the book of Daniel, the two halves of the tribulation are very clearly defined for us with 1,260 days for the first half, and 1,290 days for the second half. And this is also mirrored in the book of Revelation. But then we have a strange period of 1,335 days, which is only associated with a blessing pronounced over those who are willing to wait for this number of days to pass. Blessed is he that waiteth, and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. I have always wondered what this period represented, as it did not seem to have a clearly defined application compared to the rest of the information shared in this book. But knowing that Jesus said that those who wait for him would be blessed, I thought that this number may be associated with the time that those who are waiting for him to return from his long journey have to be patient for. In the parable of the ten virgins, an announcement was made at midnight to announce the arrival of the bridegroom, which preceded the virgins meeting the bridegroom. I'm of the opinion that our Heavenly Father announced the arrival of His Son before the time, in the same way as in the parable of the ten virgins, by giving us the Revelation 12 sign on September 23, 2017. I wondered if this period of 1,335 days may have been associated with this heavenly sign that was given, and if this period would be the number of days that God's people would be expected to wait, until they would stand in Noah's shoes and see the promise of God come to pass. If we add 1,335 days to the Revelation 12 sign that occurred on September 23rd of 2017, we arrive at May 20th, 2021. Seven days exactly before second Passover would occur on the lunar calendar if the start of the year is adjusted to start one month later. Would this be the point where those who have been watching and waiting will receive instructions from our Heavenly Father as Noah did, to enter the ark and to wait for that which will happen one week later? For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. This is not the only significant date before us. On the Gregorian calendar, Israel will celebrate their 73rd birthday on May 14th this year. That will mark a point in time where Psalm 90 would have to apply if this passage is true and applies to Israel as a re-established nation. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. If this year does not mark the start of the tribulation, then David would have written something in God's word that would encounter specific contradictions with timelines provided elsewhere in God's word. One would then have to conclude that all the things that have been promised to Israel during their final generation 
would actually require more than 80 years to be accomplished. This is certainly possible, but that would certainly lead to contradicting what we are told in this passage. Although many may have been disappointed with regards to the high watch days that have passed us by, I am certainly very excited to see what happens towards the end of May. As I have shown in several previous videos, our enemy's timeline, which also seem to be perfectly describing the events of the past two years in the iPetco 2 animation. This animation was produced in 2012 and yet it has very accurately described the events that occurred over the past two years, showing us that everything that we have seen happening in the world has been part of an elaborate plan by our enemy that has taken centuries of planning, but which is now coming to a head. In this scene where the girl holds an apple, we are shown how lockdowns would occur during months represented by the blue figurines on the floor around the girl with the apple being locked down with barbed wire. On the wall in the back we see a timeline by which the population of the earth would be deceived into taking a substance into their bodies that they have been promised is safe and would protect them against a flu-like illness. And although we have not seen the full effects of this process yet, the Bible tells us where this will be heading. Ultimately, those who have bought into our enemy's lies have allowed our enemy to replace God's image in our DNA with an abomination that will very likely cause the ultimate desolation for those who have accepted it. If we look at a proper description of desolation, it is described as a state of complete emptiness or destruction, or a state of great unhappiness or loneliness. Many who have submitted themselves to receive this poison into their bodies have stated that they can no longer feel God or communicate with Him. This desolation is also what those who find themselves in hell will be experiencing, being separated from God, being lonely forever, and being in torment, because they allowed God's image to be removed from their bodies. It also opens the doors for the money changers to set up their tables in what is supposed to be the temple of God through nanotechnology, that will embed each person who accepts this with very sophisticated communication, tracking and devices through which the enemy can exercise full control over a person incorporated into the system. This process started in December of 2020 and would seem to encounter a noticeable event that aligns with the month of May. Not only that, both these timelines show us information about President Trump long before he became a candidate for the presidency in the USA. In the 2020 timeline, this posture, when seated, is clearly shown to us in this figurine. And in the 2021 timeline, on the back wall, his exit from office and almost disappearing from the scene during January of 2021, is clearly shown to us by the emergency exit door, also aligning with January of 2021. Then we see how darkness descends over the world with a spotlight highlighting the month of May, and an event that would change that which came before it into something different and chaotic after that point in time. This could very possibly point to the time during which the light of the world will be removed and where darkness will descend over the world, transitioning the world into the tribulation. The girl with the apple sitting in a circle with a dot next to it, an image that is shown repeatedly in this animation, would seem to mark another celestial sign in the form of an annular solar eclipse, associated with an additional planetary object visible next to the Sun at the time of this eclipse. There just happens to be an annular solar eclipse scheduled to occur on June 10th, following the total lunar eclipse of May 26th, and this immediately brings to mind this passage from Joel. 
The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. We further know that the World Economic Forum has scheduled a job reset meeting to occur on June 1st and 2nd, and this would conveniently fit in with the time where the Great Reset would begin to happen if darkness descends over the world at the end of May. This will be the time where a one-world currency that will probably be a cryptocurrency will be introduced and where the economy as we know it today will be replaced with that of our enemy. He will require those who were made in the image of God to accept a mark in their bodies that will remove God's image from their DNA. And without this mark, they will not be able to buy and sell in the new economy that our enemy will establish once the restrainer has been removed. Since our enemy is also pointing out the start of a war that would seem to align with Albert Pike's plan in which Islam will be going to war against the political Zionists, and seeing how nations are rising against nations right now, it stands to reason that the blood moon shown in this clip could be pointing to the one occurring on May 26th. Seven days before this date, those who have been watching and waiting will reach 1,335 days since the Revelation 12 sign occurred, and could May 20th be the final date that may be associated with a clear sign to those who are waiting, confirming that their long-awaited bridegroom is about to meet them in the air. I am very hopeful to see our departure from this evil world to occur before June, and specifically looking to May 20th for a sign that will tell us one way or another, and intently watching for our Redeemer's return between May 20th and May 26th. However, if nothing happens between May 20th and June 10th, I know that many warnings were also received last year that could point us to the end of October, and specifically the time of Halloween, where another possibility could await us, and where those who were left behind, should our departure occur during May, may be introduced to the Antichrist. So stand strong and be excited, because one way or another our waiting is almost over, and what a glorious day that will be. I hope this will encourage you if you have been patiently waiting and enduring the delays that we have seen, specifically since the Revelation 12 sign appeared in the heavens. The world at large, waiting for things to return to normal, is about to go over a cliff's edge, and will then realize how they ignored God's loving warnings to them through which they could have escaped all the evil that is about to come over the earth. For those who belong to Jesus' portion of the faith harvest, through no works of their own, and especially not adding or relying on any of their own works to save them, what a glorious time we have to look forward to when Jesus reaps the earth, and gathers together those that he will take to his Father's house, where he prepared our dwellings, and where we will be with him for all of eternity. So look up, for our redemption draws near, and this could very well be our very last month on the earth. The Bible says that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you will receive salvation. Have you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you placed all of your trust in Him to save you from your sins? Jesus shed His precious blood on the cross to set you free from sin, and your sins being washed away and you becoming a fellow heir with Christ as a son or daughter of God is a free gift to anyone who will accept. The only way in which you can obtain this gift is through faith. You cannot earn it, and you cannot pay God back for it once you have it. Would you not accept His gift of eternal life to you today, while there is still time to do so? Do not trust in your own works to save you, even if those works are the works that you do under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will receive all the glory for every person that He saved, 
and we can only offer him our gratitude and worship. Jesus' suffering on the cross is a picture difficult to understand. He was betrayed by a friend, arrested and falsely sentenced to death. He was beaten and whipped, a crown made of thorns pressed into his head. Bearing the cross, he stumbled and staggered up the hill to Golgotha. Each step of the journey getting worse, spit on, cursed, and mocked. But Jesus never looked back. He kept going. Jesus could have avoided the cross, called down fire from heaven, or summoned legions of angels to rescue him, to save him. But Jesus was not interested in saving himself. He was all about saving you. Every detail of this torturous path to the cross was part of God's plan to bring you to him. We're all broken. We've all messed up and have all made wrong choices. And no one had to teach us as a baby about anger and selfishness. We just came out that way, sort of a sin covering. But on the cross, with his blood he shed, the Bible says Jesus blotted out our record of sin, nailing it to his cross. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin covering. And his blood is our ticket, our ticket to enter through a new door, a forever relationship door with God. So what do we do with this great news? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, it's not enough to believe in Jesus with just your head. You must believe with your heart. Now, there's just one person alone at the foot of the cross. It is you. What will you say to Jesus? Say, thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for me. I'm giving you my heart today, Jesus. I do believe you died for me and that you were raised from the dead for me. Please give me a new heart and a new life right now. God hears you and he is answering your prayer. The love of God is being poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 